Is your family a success? Is there even a measure for family success? We think there is, and with a 20-year track record of success, we're going to show you how to bless your family with success in your health, relationships, and finances. I'm Steve Keen. And I'm Katie Keen. And along with some awesome guests, we are going to give you our secrets to family success. Welcome to Family Success Secrets. Hi, everybody. Today, we have a guest with us you are going to really enjoy hearing from, Emily Otto. She is a business strategist. She operates worldwide, and she lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. She has 15 years of experience in HR and recruiting, and she finally dropped her day job to do work that she loves after the birth of her son, Cedar. He had multiple open-heart surgeries, which showed her just how important time is. She teaches people to confidently step into work they love so that they can make a living with flexibility, freedom, pleasure, and play. So Emily, we're so excited to have you here today so that you can share your story and share with other parents the amazing system that you have found to help people free themselves to actually live a life they love. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction and for having me on. I'm, I'm really excited to share my story and to show more parents that it's possible. Absolutely. Us too. A lot of parents that we know, you know, in our world don't know about entrepreneurship. It was quite a surprise when we learned about it, to be honest. You know, it wasn't something we were really introduced to when we were growing up. And, you know, I guess unless you already have an introduction into it, you don't really know it exists. So we're hoping to open that up to all of our audience to have them understand that there are other options out there, things they may never have been told about. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and doing work in a way that works with our families instead of against them was a really big piece for me as well. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us more about your story because you have a really really interesting story with what has happened with your son. And so, yeah, so I, I always knew that I wanted to quit my corporate job, but I didn't know how or what it might look like. And when I became pregnant with my son, Cedar, my plan was, okay, we're going to do a home birth. We're going to, and then I'm finally going to leave my 15 years of corporate human resources and recruiting. And then when he was born, we found out he had multiple heart defects and he actually needed open heart surgery at one month old for heart repairs. And we knew he would need more surgeries. And when we found that out in the NICU, after 24 hours, we were going to be released from the hospital. We were so excited. I know most parents have felt that, right? You're ready to go. You get to go home. And then we got rushed to the NICU and to all of these tests. And that's really when I realized that, yeah, life was going to change. And what was important to me really shifted. And I dreaded going back to my corporate job, but I felt like I had to in order to hold the health insurance, you know, and for a lot of parents with kids with special needs or with surgeries, like you have to have good health insurance. That's part of the game in America. And so I committed to going back to work, but I knew I wanted to do something different. And my son had a second open heart surgery when he was four months old. I had a tumor removed at the same time. And then he had a pacemaker at six months old. <laughs> you really went through the emotional ringer in so many regards. I can see how that would be shifting in your view of life and your goals. How much time was spent in the NICU before you were ever discharged that first time yeah. and when you had to come right back for the surgery? And did you have yeah. to go to work in that interval? 
Oh, great question. So we were in the NICU for four days and I will never forget the head of the cardiology team saying, you know, nobody's going to touch this baby. I will lay in front of a bus before anybody does anything to him because they just wanted to assess where he was at before choosing any interventions. And I remember the surgeon saying, you know, operating on a newborn's heart is like working with wet tissue paper. And that image just stuck in my head of like, how are they going to sew wet tissue paper, right? And so we were only in the NICU for four days. And this is, you know, the unpaid FMLA in in the States. We get 12 weeks of it. So I was under that at the time. And we got to go home. But home was so stressful because we were waiting for the signs that he needed open heart surgery. And so we were in and out of the hospital for appointments. Luckily, we live 10 minutes from one of the best pediatric cardiology centers in the world at Mott Children's Hospital. Mm. And so I really think it was divine intervention that our son was born to us in this town. Gratefully, I was off from work so I could go to the appointments. But at, at one month, I remember seeing his lungs retract up and under his chest. And that was the sign we were looking for. And we went into surgery the next day. And I think we were in the NICU then for seven days for that one and another 10 days for the second surgery. And I remember going back to work at the multi-million dollar uh, global IT company I was working for and saying, well, I'm going to need more time than FMLA and I have no vacation time. So you can fire me if you want to, but I'd love to work this out with you. And to my supervisor's credit, she just said, okay, and never marked down the vacation and just let me take the time that I needed. I'm very grateful for her actions. So one, you know, one person can make such a big difference. And oftentimes it is that one person who ignores the red tape and really comes through on a personal level. Who chooses differently, you know, chooses to navigate the system in the way that they can to make it work better for people. (laughs) Yeah, right. What a tremendous blessing. Wow, that gave me goosebumps when you told me that. So tell us more. I mean, there's just a great story. It was so intense. And the intensity really helped me realize I didn't want to spend 40 hours a week doing something that didn't light me up talking about people and numbers and headcounts and doing something that my heart wasn't in. If I'm going to spend time away from my baby, I want it to matter. I want it to make a difference in the world. And so I started my business by helping people in corporate America to feel less. I'm a certified yoga teacher. I was teaching yoga and meditation. And I thought I can help people feel better about where they're at. But After doing that for a few months, I realized, in addition to my corporate job, I realized, oh, I think the solution to all of this stress and insanity in corporate America is to quit, (laughs) quit your job, do work you love on your schedule, make the money that works for you and your family, and be of deep service to others. And so I thought, well, okay, I guess that's what I'm going to do. So many people don't hear the calling in the middle of all the noise or don't, they're afraid to follow it. So you were so brave to step out and, and take this, to take the actions to do it. So how did you start? Yeah. You know, I, it became very clear to me that I wasn't going to be able to be one of those people who built their business alongside their full-time job and 
My son was home with me. We were able to breastfeed through most of these surgeries, everything for the first year. And so we had a nanny helping out at home and family members. And I thought there's no way I can build a business, work full time and take care of a newborn heart baby. And so I really created a transition plan and I actually made it into a 30-day program and now an evergreen course that people can buy that's all about how do you make a plan? How do you transition? And I think the biggest key is building your audience and your clients and how you do your work in the world while creating a nest egg of savings. And then making that quitting plan in the future. Are you quitting six months to a year from now? Is it three to six months? And being really intentional about having it be a plan. And I know, especially as parents, most of us aren't just going to quit our job tomorrow and see what works out, right? We need a plan. We need stability. We've got mortgages to pay and children to take care of. So that's what I started helping my clients with is making that plan. Wow. And you really made that plan first for yourself under extreme circumstances. So if it could work under such extreme circumstances for (laughs) you, I imagine it works pretty well for people who aren't dealing with quite so much at home. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I remember saying to myself, it would have been easier to quit when you were single, when you didn't have children. And for some reason, I never did. I just never did. I I wanted to pay off my $60,000 in student loans. I wanted to save up to buy a house. Like there were all these reasons. And then when my son was born, he was the biggest reason to actually do the thing I wanted to do. It wasn't just about quitting the thing I didn't want to do anymore. How long did it take from the time that you had that realization that one out of the nine to five, one to create a strategy that will get me there until the time when you finally did that. Since you were juggling a full-time job and a newborn, you know, how did you do it? Great question. So it probably took me about a year, Mm -hmm. I would say, from because in August of 2019 is when my son had his second open heart surgery and I had a benign tumor removed. And then I thought, okay, well, we at least need the health insurance through the end of the year. We've hit our deductible. And I just kept making reasons, you know, of, well, I want this much in the bank. I want to pay this thing off. I want to have this amount of clients. And I think once you're used to it, uh, you've done it for so long, it becomes familiar. Like I can do this job with my eyes closed. It doesn't feel good and I don't love it, but I can do this, right? So I had to make a structure and goals of, okay, I'm going to quit in August. Here's what that's going to look like. And then for the five years before that, I had been making a plan, paying off debt. I threw money at my student loans until they went away. Um, Yeah. Thank you. And because I really wanted to quit without any debt. And I did, which felt really good. (laughs) That's really amazing because if you look at statistics, most people they don't do what you've done and you, and you actually mapped it out for other people to repeat it, which is just brilliant. Thank you. It felt really good. And it's been fun to take, I think I've taken over 35 people through that program now of figuring out how to quit their day job and start their business. And now most of my work is focused on helping people start their unique online healing arts based business. How do you build a business that works for you, for your family, and helps other people. 
That's so exciting. So how does it feel to be doing what you love? Sometimes I have to pinch myself some days and like make myself feel it, right? Of like, oh, I'm actually living my dream. It's not something off in the future that I'll get to someday. Like I get to have quality time with my son and my husband and I have amazing clients that I love and I only work two to three days a week. Mm-hmm. And my son is in, in daycare during those days and it feels really, really good. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool because you had, you, you had a very solid plan going up to that all, time in August when you said, okay, this is where I'm going to depart from the nine to five. What was that first year like after you walked away from that job when uh-huh. maybe it still felt like, oh, I'm building this? Did you have reservations? Did you like think, oh man, I made a mistake or was it all joy? <laughs> oh yeah, it was not all joy. That's a fantastic yeah. question. It was really hard and sticky. For the first three months, my husband just encouraged me, you've been working nonstop for 15 years besides a week or two off here and there just don't do anything for a little while. And so I tried to listen to him, which was very hard. And just slow down and enjoy the fall. And then in the beginning of 2020, I signed up with a 12-week business incubator program. And because I was constantly telling myself I didn't know enough yet about how to start a business. I had worked with a marketing mentor. I had a good website. I had a program or two. But I still felt like I didn't know enough strategy to have a solid business. And I wasn't making consistent monthly income. I actually took two side jobs during that first year in order to pay for my son's daycare so that I could justify. It felt to me like, okay, if I have his daycare covered, I can justify that expense while I'm building my business. And uh, because luckily we reduced our expenses so my husband's income could cover all of the major things. Smart. Mm-hmm. And then, so my income was just gravy, which felt really good to not have to hustle and to strive and stress out about having my business make a lot of money fast. But that first year, I invested so much money and time and energy in learning how to build a business. How do I do sales and marketing and connecting with people and building relationships? And there were some times where I was like, did I did I do the right thing? Because sometimes the money in corporate America just feels easy. Like it's a known quantity. You get a paycheck in your account every two weeks. Even if it's stressful and frustrating, it was a known quantity that was stressful and frustrating. And in entrepreneurship, there's so many ups and downs. And in the beginning, especially, it's hard to figure out how to build consistent monthly income. So this is the biggest thing I do with my clients now, because for me, and my clients, that is like the number one, the star in the sky. That's the gold standard to reach is consistent monthly income. Our bills are consistent and monthly. So we need our clients and our income to be consistent and monthly for most of us. The biggest game changer was when I hired my first one-on-one business coach. I'm still working with her now. And that was September of last year. And that was the biggest revenue month I ever had in my business. Good to hear Thank you. It was it was game changing to have a one-on-one mentor to help me figure it out and be there when I was having a meltdown on a Monday night. <laughs> so I absolutely love something that is a thread through when we've spoken to you previously and even just in today's conversation. 
And that is the support and the bond between you. And so would you be willing to share with the audience, we'll back up in time and go back to when your son was first born and you guys were going through all of this emotion and all of this, you know, can you tell us a bit about how you guys navigated that together? Because so many families end up breaking apart during stress like that instead of coming together and you guys beautifully connected. Thank you. Thank you for that invitation. It was, it was a very intentional choice and it felt like one we had to make in the trenches, so to speak. I just had a feeling. So we, we were not married when we first found out about our son and I just had a feeling, I thought, you know, just in case any medical things come up, let's make sure that we are legally married before he's born. And so in December of that year, we had gotten married. And it's funny the way intuition works, because sure enough, we did need that. Because when you're in the hospital situation as parents, you have to sign off on various things. And so just that ability to trust each other, we've, we've got each other's backs. And I remember feeling like it was just us back to back, you know, with, with our fists up sometimes of, okay, here's how we're going to do it. We're going to slow down. We're going to ask for all the choices because especially in NICU situations or everything can feel so rushed and like, you have to make the choice right now. And it's hard to see what choices are available or options. So we intentionally slowed down. And I remember my husband brought his guitar <laughs> to the NICU. And so we would sing and play with our son and just try to find some peace together among the chaos. And I'm really, it, it really felt like a choice of, okay, we could fight each other, but there was so much else. You feel like you're fighting, even though everyone's on the same page, the surgeons, the nurses, the cardiology team, everyone's there to support you but it feels like you're fighting this thing, this heart disease, this, this issue, this abnormality happening in your little one's body that you need support with and having your partner stand with you through it all is a game changer. Wow. We could not agree more. I mean, you just put into a beautiful couple of paragraphs, <laughs> so much of our own experience too. Throughout our 17 years of various special needs, we have had to make that what you said, a choice over and over and over. And, you know, we know looking at the statistics, just that inside the community of people who have kids with medical needs or special need, or, you know, divorce rates are already really high, but it's even higher because of the stress that's there. And if people are going only on emotion and they're not looking at the intent of their spouse and making a choice, I chose to love this person. So what is their real intent in this? You know, what are they suffering with? And really looking at at deciding to love that that member of your family regardless of the circumstance around you it matters i love that i love what you're saying about that choosing to see their intention right like we're we're always allies we even if we're not on the same page we are on the same page you know <laughs> right because deep down you know, we already made that choice to unite as a team and as a couple. So we're humans. So we're so going to mess up, you know, and one day I might like have a horrible day and blah. And then he just has to say, but wait, I know she loves me. Something else is going on. What is this, you know, and, and in the reverse. And especially in those times, like when you are in that pressure of the NICU, you know, we were not in the NICU as much as you were. Well, not at all, but we've had our experiences there and it is a pressure cooker. 
It is. Despite how wonderful the staff may be. And it can put your relationship through the ringer if you're not careful. Yeah, I, I really, I feel so grateful for having worked with a midwife and doula for the nine months prior because I felt like I understood I had more empowered choices than I was being presented with, right? Because in the medical system, they're just, everybody's trying to get their job done, right? They're, they see a ton of kids every day. They're just trying to do what needs to be done. But simple things like asking for more time, asking for the best IV nurse in the hospital before I let you poke my heart, baby. You know, like we, we can ask for those things and receive them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm grateful that I was able to see like the space between the rush. Yes. <laughs> so how was adjusting when you got home? What was that like? Mm. You know, it's interesting as I'm seven months pregnant and I've been thinking a lot about this because we had an ultrasound and an echo, this, this baby's all good to go for a home birth. And I've been thinking with Cedar, our first baby, it was just our normal, right? Like coming home and having him on Lasix and medication. And I remember we were breastfeeding just fine, but I had to pump in order to put medication into the breast milk to give it to him. It was just our normal and it was chaotic and crazy and stressful. And I'm really grateful uh, again for the orphan wisdom school training we had. So my husband and I went together for two years of sessions on death and grief and dying and elderhood and how to be with the difficult parts of life. And so we could really be present with all of the stress and frustration and be okay with it, find the calm in the center. And I don't think without that training, we would have been able to do that as successfully. Oh, it's so interesting you bring up grief because that is a topic that actually we are very, very interested in as well and have done a lot of learning and um, intend to also begin teaching a little bit about, because you're right, if you're not prepared to understand what it is how it works, you know, how it works differently for every person, it can really tangle people up and really cause pain that could be resolved. Yeah. I imagine it would be much harder to to go and try and figure those things out once you're in the middle of them, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I, I can only imagine. So we learned a lot about how to understand something by getting closer to it, more intimate with the pain or the frustration or the grief instead of avoiding it. So, you know, we could, we could enable each other to do therapeutic things like screaming and, you know, writing how we feel down on a piece of paper and burning it. And there was no emotional expression that was unwarranted. We were, we supported each other in feeling everything instead of running from it, which, which I think is really where healing with grief and trauma comes in. I know when we talked before too, we were having a conversation a bit about self-care. And so I'd love to talk about that a little bit more too, because it's important. So important. And I I remember we were talking a bit about this story. I had a a girlfriend call me in the hospital those first four days in the NICU. And she said, well, but what are you doing for self-care? And I laughed and said, well, I have the really good crushed hospital ice right now. And I mix the grape juice and the apple juice and it's really tasty. So today, this is my self-care. And I think sometimes when we're going through such insanity, we have to dial it down to these small mini practices, five minutes, 15 minutes, 
Now I really love being intentional with sipping my coffee in the morning <laughs> or on the days that I'm working, I, I have a journal that I write in sitting over to my left, a journal that I write in every morning. It says smart, strong, fearless, resilient. And I just do gratitude journaling a lot and celebrating. And that takes 10 minutes of my day. So I think self-care needs to be this constant, small thread in our lives. And maybe sometimes we get to amplify it and take a week-long trip to the Bahamas, right? And other times it's making sure we're getting our 15-minute yoga practice in three times a week or sipping our coffee slowly. Yeah. I remember plenty of years where I hadn't figured any of that out yet. And it makes a massive difference. And there are still times where I'm like, whoa, I just forgot that that's really important. And, you know, it's like you, you adjust, like you're drifting when you're driving and you adjust (laughs) self-care, you know, has to stay a priority because I can really tell if, if it's not. And I think it's so important. Moms feel a lot of guilt. A lot of the time dads do too. They just don't talk about it as much. And I think it's really one of those topics that especially a couple needs to discuss together and make guidelines for and encourage each other so that they do meet those goals. They're a better couple and better parents when they do. I I love that point about encouraging each other. Just this morning, you know, I'm getting my son ready for daycare and my husband's getting ready to go to work and I'm making his coffee. And he said, well, what are, what are you doing to take care of yourself today? And it's like, yeah, I'm so grateful that I have a husband that asked me that, you know? (laughs) Yes. It's really important. I mean, now that we're grownups and we don't have parents looking out for us, you know, we need to ask each other. We we now help take care of each other. (laughs) So, yeah, that's so sweet. So I want to know how the little kid's doing these days. How is is Cedar now? Cedar's great. He's great. He's going to be three already next month. He will need a valve repair surgery sometime in the future. And then the pacemaker he'll have for life and that the little generator in it needs to be replaced every seven or so years, but we've got some time. And so we have to go in for an echo every six months right now, just so they can get a good picture of the blood flow through his heart. But I just posted a video last night. He is so brilliant and such a sweet little guy. He's my snuggle bug. He was hugging and kissing trees on a walk yesterday. (laughs) <laughs> and he's got where the wild things are memorized. Oh, I it's, love that book. Oh, it's such a good book. And I just, I feel so grateful. I actually had the thought yesterday, you know, I think his heart is just so big that maybe he had to come into the world needing some heart support. <laughs> oh, that's so precious. And he's three. That is a wonderful age. I know there's that whole thing about the terrible twos but no because we used to say we had the terrible twos and the even worse threes yeah because it seemed like for some reason the three-year-olds got a little feistier than they had been the previous year yeah (laughs) but not always and it's such a blessing that he is still so sweet and lovable and cuddly and he's wonderful he has really good tantrums but in between those he's very snuggly and sweet (laughs) he gets it all worked out in between so for for him he he obviously had had no idea about the surgeries and and the things that took place in that first year but he will know that 
when when it comes time to replace the components of the pacemaker to keep it running strong that 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 is coming and that you know every seven years or so depending on technology you're going to have to do it again and again so does he know about that yet he does he and how did you prepare him then that's a great question that nobody wants to have to face but Mm -hmm. i bet you did it well the reality. Thank you. It, you know, we learned a lot. So at most children's hospitals, they have a child life department, it's usually called, or uh, they have social workers sometimes that fit into that. So if anybody is listening and is in a good children's hospital, ask for child life or something like that. But they are really big fans of medical play, getting kids used to stethoscopes and syringes and, you know, on seeing these things repeatedly. So I actually, I let him play, you know, with the little syringes for like the Tylenol that come in the little pack. So he can, he gets to play with those every now and then and kind of familiarize himself with like, okay, medication is all right. Like it's a normal thing because he might need Lasix and things like that, diuretics in the future. And then at his age right now, he does know when we go to the hospital, we'll drive by the street to go to it. And he'll say, mama, we're not going to the hospital, are we? And it's like, oh, he's already dreading the hospital and he's not even three. So, so we just normalize it and say, you know, not today, but we go to the hospital because we need help. We go to the hospital to get help and care and support. So the hospital is a good place. And he actually helped me repattern it because a lot of my life I've, I've had like medical trauma and like I don't did not love the medical system but he's made me repattern it and forced me to say well these surgeons and nurses and staff they're our allies and they're here to help you they're here to help me so we go to the hospital when we need to get help and that's what it's there for and then at daycare I think other kids asked about his pacemaker so when when I cup my baby's belly, there's a pacemaker on the bottom, bottom left of his belly. And so for me, that's normal because he's had it since he was six months old. So I'm really curious to hold this new baby that's coming without a pacemaker. And so, (laughs) because my normal is cupping a little pacemaker when I'm snuggling my baby. And at daycare, I think other kids were asking about it. So at about a year and a half, he would come home and say, mama, I have a pacemaker. And it's like, yeah, buddy, you do. You have a pacemaker and it helps your heart. So every now and then he'll pull up his shirt and say, I have a pacemaker. <laughs> That's so cute. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. He sounds like he's so happy. And like you guys have done such a good job to prepare him. Thank you. A wonderful, happy little guy. And by about Thursday afternoon, when he's still at daycare and I'm working, I miss the heck out of him. <laughs> bet. Well, that's fair. I bet. Right? <laughs> yes. So I think we've already talked about it. a bunch of great systems that you've already offered. But do you have anything else in your in the top of your head that you want to say, you know, for families or business people or families interested in business? Anything that you might say as a system you would suggest to families? I think the biggest one I've hit on recently is making your work work for you, not working for it. But what I mean by that is you get to structure how you work with your clients. I I used to think, oh my goodness, if I'm going to work with corporate clients, I'm going to have to do calls in the evenings. You know, that's the only time they're free. And I was totally wrong. 
people can step out of work. People will take calls on their lunch break. Folks figure it out and they do it around what works for my schedule and my family. So just empowering families to make the plan to quit their corporate job where they're either on all the time or the hours aren't working or, you know, when stuff happens that are, we need to be there for our children. You feel guilty when you can't be there and you feel guilty when you are there and it's just a no win situation. Mm -hmm. So I think creating our own work in the world that works for us, that is of deep service to other people is definitely the way to go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. I like that quite a lot because I mean, I, I can see how you would think my workday doesn't start until their workday ends. Yeah. And then that guarantees your nights and your weekends are, are slammed with yeah. apartments. And, and obviously that's not good. And I would just assume that that would be counter to your husband's schedule. And so, it would be like, you're just passing in the hallway. Hey, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And instead, um, I work really hard to maintain my work boundaries of, yep, I'm on and available Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. That's really good. I continue to hear that repeatedly from the successful entrepreneurs that we have been meeting and, and in communication with that they do have very specific times. And they have very specific boundaries and that they make specific family rules for even for their technology, for example. And when is family con connection time and when isn't? When is it work time? And I really have really appreciated hearing this from so many entrepreneurs. And I really respect it because at least in the beginning setting up phase, it can just completely run your life. It's so easy to do too much and burnout, especially when you're starting your business. Yeah, we we have strict rules around phone usage. My husband has intentionally opted out of social media. He's deleted Instagram and Facebook accounts. And so he's a big stickler for it. And but usually between five and 730 when the toddler goes to bed, that's a no phone zone. And then on the weekends, we just try to hang out with each other and play games or do puzzles or get outside. And focus on connection instead of the connections inside the technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so important, especially as the technology grows and we're starting to see all the brain patterns changing in kids and all that. So that's really why. It's good that you have that, that down before baby number two comes as yeah. well. Because <laughs> that will no doubt throw a little bit of a wrench into your schedule. Because yeah, uh, boy or girl, he or she will not abide by your schedule, <laughs> as yeah. you well know. New. I found a, a breastfeeding journal and I'm remembering, oh yeah, they eat every two hours and there's a diaper every one to two hours. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, well, you can easily allow for, for those interruptions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how can our audience find you if they'd like to know more, if they're really interested in trying to quit their own nine to five and they want to find out exactly what this is that you've planned out, how can they find you? Thank you so much for that invitation. I would love to help anybody who wants to quit their nine to five job and start their own unique online healing arts based business. And you can find me on my website, which is www.emily-otto.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. The handle is just Emily Otto Rebel. And then I have a free Facebook group and I do weekly trainings. I do monthly like intensive trainings that are totally free in the group. And it's called Systems and Structures for Magical Business Owners. 
Awesome. Cool. And we will make sure to, to get links into the description for everybody. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your story and your encouragement and just amazing systems and tools for our families. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been amazing. Sure thing. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for listening and spending time with us today. If you know anyone who could benefit from this podcast, we would be honored if you would share it. Please rate, review, subscribe, and download. Head over to podcast.familysuccesssecrets.com to have a top-rated Family Success Secret sent straight to your inbox. We look forward to spending time with you again next week during our next episode. See you then. Bye, everyone.